To be rightly understood, the book of Revelation needs to be seen as the fulfillment of God's Eden plan. We see the final judgment on the Eden serpent. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss, shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he could not deceive the nations. Revelation 20, 2 and 3. The Revelation prophesies the return to God's original plan for humanity, namely God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Anyone who does not do the will of God, beginning with faith in Jesus Christ, his or her name will not be found in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that one will be excluded from Eden, just as Adam and Eve were. In the new Eden, called the New Jerusalem, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will reign forever and ever. Revelation 22. We've come full circle. God intended Adam and Eve to reign, and now, finally, it is a reality. Good morning, everyone. We are completing the last sermon in the series Eden, the kingdom of God. And today we're talking about the new Eden. We began in Genesis, the first chapters of Genesis, talking about Eden as the headquarters of God, where heaven and earth intersected, and where God and man walked together as friends. Adam and Eve had not fallen. Adam and Eve were still in communion with God because they were sin-free. And we discovered over the last few weeks how because of sin they were evicted from the Garden of Eden. And now we've come full circle. We come to the last few chapters of, of Revelation, the last few chapters of the Bible. And we discover that in fact we end up back in the Garden of Eden. Only this one is called the New Eden. Now an interesting thing happened to me uh, about a week and a half ago. I got an email from a pastor in India. In, Andhra Pradesh, and uh, this was his message to me. Uh, My beloved pastor, Alan Duncalf, sir, we are highly requesting you kindly bring the kingdom of God message to our pastors and our villages. I'd like to share with you about our upcoming meeting details. I'm going to conduct a revival pastors conference and outreach meetings. You will be ministering eight days with all of us. You are our only main guest speaker and uh, for all our upcoming meetings. And this is Pastor Satish Kumar in Andhra Pradesh, India. Perhaps he's listening to that right now, and I I greet you, dear brother Kumar. This uh, series has garnered a lot of feedback, and we're really thrilled about it, uh, thrilled about how people are finally understanding what the Bible is all about, what the Old Testament uh, sacrifices are all about. And if you haven't heard those messages, if you've missed a few, I would counsel you uh, to go back to our website and listen to all five sermons in this series, and I think that you will be tremendously encouraged. So uh, just a reminder, a recap, so we began in the Garden of Eden, the place where Adam and Eve were sinless and were therefore able to walk in communion and fellowship with a pure and holy God. And we discovered that it wasn't long after their creation that they disobeyed God, they broke God's law, 
God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't listen to God. And because of their disobedience, sin had entered in. And we've seen over time the consequence of that kind of disobedience, the horrors that it has brought to every one of us. And then from the Garden of Eden, we, we went to Mount Sinai. And we said that Mount Sinai was a, a type of the Garden of Eden. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, it actually describes the mountain of God in the same terms that he describes the Garden of Eden. Very interesting. Mount Sinai was a place where God met Moses, where they conferenced together, they conferred together, and God gave Moses the instructions for his people and how that they should worship him, the laws that they should keep, the 613 laws. Uh, we sometimes call this the constitution of the kingdom of God. And then from Mount Sinai, we move on to the tabernacle. Remember that? The, the place of worship. And over the tabernacle was what we call the Shekinah glory. There was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And the children of Israel were camped around the tabernacle and they could see all day long, day and night, every day, they could see that God was in their midst. And you'll notice that that is a, that column of fire that's over the tabernacle. By the time we get to the New Testament, we see that that was a, really a shadow of what was to come because by the time we get to the New Testament on the day of Pentecost, we see God's presence dwelling with his people. And just as there was uh, uh, tongues of fire, like a tongue of fire or a column of fire above the tabernacle, so we see above these people who were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we see again the, these tongues of fire over their heads. Well, you see the similarity, don't you, in the, um, uh, the, the visual. And again, it's God's presence dwelling with his people. Just a really a thrilling uh, sight and thrilling to know that now God doesn't dwell in a place, but he actually dwells in his people. But I got to remind you that this is not the end of the story. Um, God's, God's dwelling place is not on earth yet. It's in his people, but it's, there's no geopolitical place that we could say, that, well, this is God's kingdom. Uh, we, we recognize that, that that is to come. In fact, you're going to see that in just a few moments. It's in the book of Revelation, that geopolitical headquarters, that, that geographical place, that physical place on earth. So I want to remind you, uh, before we go any further, that God's, God's dwelling place is in the midst of his people. That's why we say when you come to church on Sunday, you're coming to the Garden of Eden, and we are conferring with God. God speaks to his people. And uh, this, is a, this is a very special um, picture that he, he, he shows us. Um, we, we read that in Hebrews 4, 16, it says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. And so there you have the picture of a throne room. And if you will, think of that throne room as, as the actual Garden of Eden. It's a heavenly Eden, a spiritual Eden, a place where every time you and I close our eyes or go to that prayer closet, we are, are getting alone with God. And this is why Jesus tells his disciples, don't pray like the Pharisees who go out in public and, 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 and cry out for everybody to hear. They're not praying to God. They're, 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 not, they're not in the Garden of Eden. Jesus says, go to that prayer closet, go to that garden, that quiet place where there's nobody else. It's just you meeting with God 
And there, present your request to God. There, bring your petitions. There, meet with God. And, and, and don't just tell God what you want, because that's our tendency, isn't it? We, we come with our, with our shopping list of things that we want to do, we want God to do for us, uh, things that we want God to give us. Uh, folks, I'm going to tell you, prayer is not all about telling God what to do. Prayer is about coming into his presence and letting him tell us what to do. I find myself not going with a prayer list or with a, a list of, of, of things I want God to do. I go with an empty piece of paper and I say, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm, I'm sitting there ready to make a list of the things God's telling me. And so this is what we need to see uh, uh, when we talk about prayer, when we talk about the Garden of Eden and that place of meeting with God. So, but we're, we're talking this morning about the, the new Eden, the, the final phase of Eden, if you will. And we, we call that new Eden heaven. In fact, uh, we have got some strange ideas of what heaven is. Uh, some of you, maybe mentally, you, you get this picture instantly of, of people with a halo, with a harp, and with wings. And I love this, uh, this cartoon here with a caption that says, but this is eternity, you've got to have a hobby, says one guy holding a harp to another guy with a dumbfounded look on his face. Uh, this, this is just uh, utterly crazy notion of what heaven will be. But, you know, all the, all the cartoonists and all the illustrators, uh, this is sort of the picture they paint for us, and we just kind of go with that without questioning it. Uh, some have this notion or the idea that heaven will be boring, I love this uh, cartoon, poor guy sitting on a cloud with his halo and his wings, and, and he, 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 there's this bubble above his head that says, I wish I would have brought a magazine because he's so bored. I'm going to tell you, that's, heaven is not boring. Um, and of course, it's my favorite cartoon. It says, here's, here's two people in heaven in the clouds, and they're both playing the accordion. And the one says to the other, it could be worse. In hell, you have to play the bagpipes. So yeah, it's quite, it's quite funny, um, but utterly and completely erroneous. We, we really, really need to check to see what the scriptures say about what heaven is. So here's what we need to know. We need to know that heaven is an actual, uh, it will be an actual physical place. It will be a place where, uh, that the Bible describes as a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to read a little bit about that in just a moment in Reve Revelation 21 uh, and in Revelation 22. And so if you want to get your Bibles out and prepare to look at that. But as you're doing that, let me just remind you of some of the names for the heaven that we will eventually end up in, this, this new Eden. Uh, sometimes it's called the New Jerusalem. Sometimes it's called the Tabernacle of God. Sometimes it's called the Holy City or the City of God, the Celestial City, the City Foursquare, uh, the Heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, it's literally heaven on earth. And it is referred to in the Bible in several places, but it's most fully described in Revelation 21. And so this morning, um, we want to look forward to what is ahead for humanity. Now, let's, let's answer this question, what is heaven? And when we speak of heaven, the new Eden, we're talking about the time in the future when, first of all, the recorded history of man is at its end, and all of the ages have come and gone. Uh, Christ has gathered his church to himself, uh, the tribulation has passed, the battle of Armageddon has been fought and won by our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the final rebellion against God has been squashed, and Satan has received his just punishment and eternity in the lake of fire. 
Uh, the great white throne judgment has taken place and mankind has been judged. And finally, everyone whose name is in the Lamb's book of life will be admitted into the new Eden. This is a geopolitical and a spiritual place. Uh, heaven is a place where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So I think you're getting the picture here. This, this new Eden is really a return to God's original purpose for us. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to read to you a couple passages of Scripture. And the first passage is, a new, uh, is, a, is about the new Jerusalem, or the new Eden. And it's Revelation 21, 1-7, if you want to quickly turn there. And here's what John says. John, remember, is sometimes we call him the revelator because he's the one that received this revelation from Jesus Christ. And here's what John says. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old earth and the uh, old heaven had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So there you see, folks, uh, it's now not just a spiritual presence of God, it's a physical presence of God. And then in verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And so um, the next passage is in Revelation 22. And again, we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. Listen to this. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, crystal clear, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, I want you to listen carefully, folks, uh, to the symbolism and to the, to the parallels between this Garden of Eden and the Garden of Eden we read about in Genesis uh, 1 and 2 and 3. In verse 2, it says, It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. Now, remember, you heard about the tree of life in Genesis. Now you're hearing about it again. And this is what it says about the tree of life. It bears 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspired his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. It's so exciting. If you haven't read the book of Revelation yet, I just want to counsel you today uh, when the day is over or this afternoon or whenever you have a chance, pick up the book of Revelation and read it again. And this time when you read the book of Revelation, think of it in terms of God's kingdom being reestablished on the earth. I'm going to tell you, if you use that simple filter, then it all begins to make sense. It all becomes clear to you. 
If you don't understand that Revelation is about the reestablishment of Eden on earth, then Revelation will really be a mystery to you. But it's absolutely thrilling in its content. In fact, the Bible says that anybody who reads this book will be blessed. Um, and, and if you obey the words of the prophecy written in the book, you will be blessed. So I really encourage you to, to do that. Now, let me remind you, uh, anyone who does not do the will of God, beginning with you know, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, then your name will not be found in the Lamb's book of life. And you will be excluded from Eden, Eden just as Adam and Eve were. Your name has to be in the book. That's your, that's your ticket into the new Eden. And we, you know, we, we live in a time, people have got very strange notions and ideas about heaven and about hell. Everybody just assumes that when you die, you go to heaven. Uh, some people, you mean, you hear people say, well, you know, he got his wings, or uh, just, just silly notions, silly sentimental ideas. Look at if you're going to have a faith and, and a belief system that deals with, your, uh, with, with heaven and, and, and hell, then you better get your facts straight. You better get into your Bible and see what it actually says there. What does God actually say about heaven and hell? Well, I'm telling you today what God says about heaven. Um, and and here, here's the thing. When, when we die, and a lot of people have questions about that, um, there's a waiting place, a place that we go to in, in preparation for heaven before we ever actually get to the final Eden. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, a, a place of waiting. Jesus describes it very well. Again, if you want to read Luke chapter 16, we can't do it this morning. But read Luke chapter 16, and, and you see that, that Jesus describes a place that could be described as the, the bosom of Abraham. And you remember the story about Lazarus and uh, how he was so poor and, and the rich man who wouldn't give him anything to eat. And then when, they, when the both of them died, we discover that it's the poor man who's in the bosom of Abraham being comforted, taken care of, the place, uh, Jesus called it paradise, um, the, the rich man who rejected God and didn't care about, about others, uh, he was actually uh, across an abyss, on the other side of an abyss. And uh, he, was, uh, he was in agony, frankly. He, he was thirsty and he was pleading with Abraham to send Lazarus over just to put a little bit of water in his tongue. So uh, I'm, this is not a message about hell today. It's a message about heaven. So I, I want you to understand that, that when we die, we're immediately in the presence of God. And, and obviously with the saints and all who have gone on before us. It's, it's a, it'll be a glorious reunion, but, but that's, just a, that's just a small taste of what's to come. And man, I can hardly wait because when I, get to, when I leave this earth, there's, there's my, my, my beloved friends and family that have gone on before me. I think of my grandparents whom I love so dearly. I think of my stepsisters, uh, Amber and Stacy, who've gone on before, and so many others. I mean, we have this glorious, glorious hope called heaven, the place where uh, when we die, we will go to be with the Lord and with our loved ones. But understand that, that this, is not the, this is not the end. It's just, just the beginning. Uh, remember when, what Jesus said to the thief that was hanging on the cross beside him? Actually, there were two criminals hanging beside him. One rejected God and, and actually uh, was, was mocking Jesus, whereas the other one said to Jesus, now listen to the language, he says... Uh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, isn't that interesting words? Remember last week we said that the kingdom of God is Eden. And so 
this is exactly what's happening here, is that, is that this, this thief or this, um, uh, this criminal is actually preparing to go into the, the presence of Almighty God. It's absolutely thrilling. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now remember what we said last week. Uh, paradise is a, is, a, is a Persian word. It's not a, a Greek word, and it's definitely not a, a Hebrew word. But when you look at it in the original language, in the Greek, the word is actually park or garden. And, uh, but we've translated it for some reason. We've translated it paradise. But I think we've done that just sort of so that we can understand that it's, it's a distinct place. So uh, the thief hanging on the cross before Jesus was ushered into paradise when he died, uh, as was Lazarus, and as, as we all are uh, once we die. But that's not, that's not the final place. The final place is yet to come. And, and that final place is called Eden, the new Eden, the new Jerusalem. No longer will we see a split between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth now are in, intersect. Heaven and earth now are become one uh, in, in the new Jerusalem or the new Eden. Now, why does this matter? Well, before I, I answer that question, I said that people have strange views of heaven. In fact, most people really betray their, their selfishness when we hear what they have to say about heaven. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, people believe that heaven is all about me. It's all about, uh, about what's in it for me. So I want you to just quickly listen to the responses in the celebrity survey um, that People magazine published, and uh, they, they asked these various celebrities, what is your idea of heaven? So Edie Falco says that her idea of heaven is finding a parking space in front of my house. Uh, pretty, pretty shallow, isn't it? But look at this, it's all, about, it's all about her. It's all about finding something for me, all about my ease, my comfort. Uh, we find Billy Bob Thornton saying it's it's living on a lily pad with all the German chocolate cake and fried okra that I could eat with all my children. Again, very silly, but definitely very self-centered. Uh, Uma Thurman, she said, it would be a sweet, intimate, pretty, and really private place. Again, it's all about Uma. She doesn't really care about anything else but, except for her own comfort and her own uh, ease. Uh, Adam Mesh, average Joe, says for him, Heaven is all-you-can-eat buffets where you never get full. It's a basketball court where I could dunk, and I'd still have all my hair. Now, that's pretty funny. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, for some of us, we'd say, well, that, I mean, that sounds legitimate. At least I could get all my hair back. Ludacris says, heaven is a life of no work and just spending money. There's no limit to what I can spend money on. We might mock that kind of unbridled selfishness, but when we look at some religious descriptions of heaven today, what we find is not much difference. So, you know, we can mock those that don't know Christ and don't have an understanding of heaven, but men, for some Christians, uh, we really don't have much, uh, there's really not much difference between us. We have a very similar view of heaven. One devotional guide called A Travel Guide to Heaven declares that heaven is, uh, is, is paradise. 
a paradise of Disney World, Hawaii, Paris, Rome, and New York all rolled up into one. It's the ultimate playground created purely for our enjoyment, unquote. Wow, did you notice that Winnipeg is not mentioned in that list? Uh, obviously, Winnipeg is not heaven. But again, it's, it's so self-centered, isn't it? And I'm going to just tell you this, in case you don't know it yet. Heaven is, is not a place for selfish people. And if you are a self-centered person who can only think of yourself, then you're not going to be happy in this place. Because heaven is a place of, of unselfish, other-oriented people. In fact, that is really what Christianity is all about. What does Jesus say? If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. The, the, the very essence of our faith, the very essence of following Jesus means that you and I are living for Christ and we're living for others. You may recall that, that God declares that his people are a, a royal priesthood. In other words, all of us are priests. What does that mean? All of us serve God and we serve others. Again, that is the essence of, of what a Christian is. A priest is somebody who serves, and that's what you and I are. And by the way, if you're not serving, then there's something radically wrong with your faith. If you're not coming to church to serve your church, to serve the body of Christ, if you're not serving others, if you're not serving your spouse, your children, the people you work with, if you're not serving God, then, then it's, you know, the, the, the conclusion we would have to draw is that you're probably not a Christian. Now, I'm not standing here in judgment of anybody, but, but the Bible does tell us clearly how to understand whether or not we're saved or not. In fact, Jesus says that, that in the Sermon on the Mount that by, by its fruit, we know what kind of a tree the tree is. But if the tree doesn't bear fruit, or if a tree is bearing a certain kind of fruit, well, then we know what that tree is. So you can't call yourself an apple tree if you're producing oranges or, or, or lemons or limes. You get the picture here. It's, it's very simple. It's, it's, not, it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. You and I are, are Christians based on our willingness to serve. Well, folks, that is what heaven's all about. I have people say, well, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? I'm going to tell you, folks, we will, I mean, if you're having a busy life right now, you've seen nothing yet. Only this time in heaven, you will be busy, but you will be energized. You will be thrilled about heaven. It'll be so exciting. Listen to this verse here in Revelation 21, uh, verses 22 and 23. John says, I saw no temple in this city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Now, did you notice those words? For the glory of God illuminates the city. Now, get that into your head. You say, Pastor Allen, quite frankly, I don't know what that means. Well, I'm going to tell you. When we talk about the glory of God, folks, it means we're living for him. We're, we're living for others. So heaven will be a place where we are serving each other, and we're serving God. We're getting to know each other. Um, you know, you hear me say all the time, life is about relationships. Well, folks, that's what heaven's all about. And when we get to heaven, there's uh, who, who knows how many billions of believers and followers of God there will be there. And maybe there won't be billions, I don't know. But surely, uh, you know, multiple, multiplied millions of people. And I'm going to tell you that heaven will be a place where we'll be connecting with one another. We'll be fellowshipping together. Um, I see Hunter there. Hunter... 
you and I will be going to Denny's, the Denny's in heaven. We'll be spending, what, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 years just chit-chatting and talking about how wonderful God is and, and the, the, the glories that we've seen and how wonderful it's been to be a follower of Christ. And we'll talk about how we got over, how we got into the promised land, into the, into the new Eden. And one of the things I often say is, uh, well, I used to say this to my dad when he was living full-time, in Asuas, we'd go to visit him in the Okanagan Valley, and then we would have to say goodbye. But one of the things we loved to do while we were there in Asuas is we would go to the local Husky uh, gas station. It was a truck stop, have a great, great meal. And then we would just talk for hours. And so I would jokingly say, when we get to heaven, we're going to go to the great Husky station in the sky, and we're going to spend about a thousand years there just chit-chatting and talking and keeping up, because we just find we never have enough time to talk about all the things we want to talk about. So folks, if you want to know what heaven's all about, I mean, I can't tell you everything, but I do know that the Bible gives us a hint, and it's, it's going to be about serving each other. It's going to be about relationship with one another and our relationship with God, and I am thrilled about that. There's so many people I want to spend time with, and people say, you know, we got to go for coffee, and there's just, just not enough time. But, hey, we're going to a place where we'll have a lot of time to fellowship together, and we just will not have enough time. It would be so thrilling, so wonderful to be able to connect on that level. And by the way, if you hate people, if you don't like people, you don't want to be around people, well, you're going to hate heaven. It's, heaven will not be a place you want to be. And can I just add one more thing? When we talk about serving God, how do you think we serve God? Think about that. Some people have this notion, this idea that the way to serve God is just by making tons and tons of sacrifices. Yeah, we do make sacrifices, but, but to what end? Remember, Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice, so obviously it's got to be something other than just you know, making atonement for something. Jesus has made atonement already, so what does it mean to serve God now as Christians? I'll tell you. It's to serve one another. The way that you serve God is by serving each other. In fact, the proof that you love God is that we love others. And the Bible says if you don't love others, if you don't love one another, then you can't love God. The love of God's not in you. John tells us that in, in his epistle. You, the, the evidence, the proof that you love God is that you love one another. And so, folks, that's what heaven's going to be. Heaven's going to be a place where we love each other, and as we love each other, then God will be glorified. And when it says that, it says, for the glory of God illuminates a city. Well, folks, that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, everything we are, everything we do is for the glory of God. And so I, I would share this, I would say this to you, um, this, this notion, the idea that the glory of God illuminates the city, uh, part of that is God's people, God's people, loving God, glorifying God, and, and worshiping him, and, and, and serving one another. That's, that's where it comes in. Now, again, I just want to say this, and it's, it's a beautiful thought. Heaven is a place where God's will is done. And I'm going to tell you this. And people say, well, what kind of a God would send people to hell? And what kind of a God wouldn't, wouldn't allow people in? Well, God, God doesn't force anybody to do anything. God's given us a free will. And if you don't want to go to heaven, that's your choice. You, you choose that. And, you know, again, uh, Adam and Eve were given free will. It's a tricky, tricky thing because it's very risky, very dangerous. But really, folks, at the end of the day, how else do you know whether or not a person loves you? And how could God know whether we loved him? He had to give us free will so we could make that choice to love him. So here's the thing. When you and I get to heaven, 
it's going to be a place where God's will is done all the time. And everybody who goes to heaven, are, it's, it's a collection of people who do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And so you need to understand that. God excludes no one from heaven except those who don't want to go there. So that's really important to understand. So don't, don't be blaming God that someone's not going to heaven. That's their choice. They chose not to go there. And God will never send anybody to hell uh, who doesn't want to go there. Uh, but again, you, you've got to do it God's way. You can't do that on your own. Now, one of the things that you need to understand is that we, we are his and, and created in his image and because of that, we are creative, we are relational beings, and that really is what the new Eden, what heaven will be all about. It'll be a place where your creativity will flourish. And I know some people say, I wish I could play the piano, I wish I could sing, I wish I could whatever, uh, wish I could paint. Well, maybe, maybe God will bless you powerfully and mightily so that suddenly you've got this, this wonderful ability. Um, but the most important thing that will happen in heaven is that God will be glorified. I want to share with you another verse, and it's Revelation 21.4. And he says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, and all these things are gone forever. Uh, folks, i got to tell you, that verse to me is one of the most important verses in the Bible because it helps me understand that I will be finally healed, uh, finally free of suffering, of pain, uh, everybody here has experienced bad experiences. Has, some of you have had uh, unspeakable things happen to you. You've been molested. You, you have experienced death in your family. You, some of you have lost children. Uh, some of you have, have, have had uh, um, uh, children that were stillborn. That's a horrible, horrible thought. I don't even like to use the words, but that's a fact. And you've, you've experienced the pain and the suffering of that. Uh, I want you to know that when we get to heaven, not only will we never experience that kind of thing again, but you will not have these memories anymore. It'll be all washed away. There's no more tears, no more terrors, no more temptations, no more disease, no more sickness, no more suffering. And for some people, you know, we, we often wonder, you know, about those who died young and how fair is that? Well, it's not fair. And that's why God has prepared a place for us. It'd be a place for those who had a short run on earth, those who, were, who died young. Uh, they will have all of eternity with the Lord. And folks, this is why it's so critical that we introduce everyone to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because let's face it, some people have a good run, a long run on this earth, but so many people don't. And it seems so unfair. And it is fair. And God declares that it's unfair. And that's why God has established this new Eden for us a place where we will live forever with him without, without any more sorrow, crying, or pain. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then finally, this one more verse I want to share with you, and then I'm done. Uh, actually, two more verses, but they're related. Uh, it says that nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And I've already touched on this. God is not forcing anybody into heaven, and he's certainly not forcing anybody into hell. This is our choice. And God tells you very clearly in his word what it means to uh, have your name in the Lamb's book of life, how you can go to heaven. 
Um, I mean, I've heard people say such reckless and cavalier things. Some people say, I don't want to go to heaven. It'll be boring there. There'll be no more parties. And man, I want to, I want to have my Johnny Walker. And I want to have a, a bottle that never, that never ends. And, and I want to have the, the, the buzz of the, 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 the high of the drunk, but I don't want to have a hangover. Uh, I mean, I, you just hear such ridiculous things. And it's obviously from people who are ignorant and people who perhaps are just afraid to even talk about death and dying. But I'm going to tell you this right now, that only those who are pure and who've been made pure through Jesus Christ can enter into heaven. In fact, listen to this verse, Revelation 22:4. It says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat from the fruit from the tree of life. And folks, I just want to remind you, the way that we wash our robes is, is through Jesus Christ. In other words, you've been cleansed, you've been washed, washed clean. Your heart has been washed clean. The slate has been cleaned, as it were. And you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus because you've come to Christ and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are made righteous through faith uh, and, 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 and it's a free gift from God. It's, it's nothing that we can boast about. We can't say, you know, I worked hard to get into heaven or I, you know, I did a lot of good deeds, so I deserve to go to heaven. There's, the fact is, the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. The only one who's righteous is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is why Jesus Christ had to come to this earth. And that's why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to die. Remember that God pronounces a death penalty upon all who disobey, and now Jesus Christ has paid that penalty. And so all who put their faith in him, all who say, I believe that Jesus died for me, that God, God will credit Christ's death on the cross to you as though you died. And that, my friends, is the gospel, and it's thrilling in its entirety. And it's, just, it's too much to even go into here right now. But be sure to this, God loves you. And he, we know it because he sent his son to die for us. God died for us. God died in our place so that we wouldn't have to die. Folks, there is no greater form of love. There is no greater love. And we see it in our, in our Father in heaven. He died for us. I'm telling you, I have a father, I've got kids, and I would die for any one of my kids in a heartbeat. It, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even have to think of it. I would just I would present myself to die on behalf of my kids, and that is exactly what God did. He said, I'm going to die in his place. I'm going to die in her place. And everybody who puts their faith in the God who does that for us, you're saved. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ is. He's the sacrificed Lamb. Hallelujah. This is our faith. And the new Eden will be a celebration of all who put their faith in the Lamb who died for us. God bless you, and let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today. Thank you for the gospel, the good news. And so, some of us have known this gospel for many, many years, and yet it's, it's as thrilling and as fresh as though we had just heard it for the first time. Thank you, God, for what you did through us through Christ. And we pray now, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name, that you would touch people's heart. If there's any here who have not yet put their faith in Christ, God, I pray that by your spirit, you would just prompt them to come to us and to, 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 that we might pray with them and that they might get their life right with you. So we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen.
And why don't you tell the person beside you, make sure you go to heaven. God bless.